Welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Serena Faith Masterson. She is a mentor. She's an author. She's a motivational speaker. And she has an incredible, incredible story. So incredibly inspiring. I can't wait to share that with you all today. How are you doing? I am doing fabulously. Thank you, Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So... I, I don't know where you would want to begin, but maybe for my audience, you can talk a little bit about your backstory. So my understanding is that you grew up in a satanic cult that was contracted with MK Ultra, which is something, you know, I have definitely explored on this podcast. And it's, but it's like, no matter how many times you hear these stories, so many people just can't believe that it's real, right? I yeah, come up against that a lot, which is part of why, I, pardon? I said, me included. It took many years for me to believe it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And uh, so I think it's really important to uh, share these stories, uh, you know, of course, so that people can get help first and foremost, uh, but also so that people understand how, you know, it's really, it's so pervasive that it really does affect everyone, you know, not just the specific targeted victims or people, you know, who have been raised in these families or trafficked you know, individually, but it really is kind of a underbelly of something that is much bigger and unfortunately darker that really affects everyone. So yeah, wherever you want to begin. Well, I was born in 1955 and the CIA had approached my father, who was the head of a satanic cult, and had asked him if he would contract his firstborn child to this program when she was she or he was born. And my father happily agreed. And so at three days old, when I came home from the hospital, my training began. My training consisted of a modality set up and created by the MKUltra program combined with the satanic program. I am a living miracle. You know, it's like, okay, where do I start to describe this journey? I don't go into the darkness because the darkness you can imagine. I lived a life of Freddy Krueger and Jason and The Exorcist and all of those kind of scary horror movies on a 24-hour, seven-day basis. Hmm. I was not fed, not touched, trained to not move so that I would become a human with eyes that watched and a mind that was activated so that my energy would move out so that they could control me for their purposes. The miracle was that I was able to dissociate so fully through the wisdom, the brilliance of my soul so that I stayed sane and alive in the presence of such brutality, such darkness, that my soul would take aspects of experience, sometimes 20 different ones within one memory, and wrap it up and hold that part of me in a precious state of dissociation. That allowed me to survive. I ended up with 327 named personalities. Now, that is an extreme amount of personalities, and I was so dissociated that I literally didn't know that my hands belonged to me, that this was my body. If you go into a huge party and you look around the room, that was like how I experienced my inner system 
every person was distinct with their own characteristics, their own names. Some were men, some were women, some were black, Asian, white. Um, I had an ant, a literal crawling bug in my system. I had fairies, monsters, beasts, everything, whatever I needed to stay alive. And each one of these aspects of my personality came through to do a job, whatever that job was, whether it was to go to school, whether it was to go to a cult meeting and survive the cult meeting, whether it was to sit in a huge warehouse being trained and experimented on by the government, whatever it was, an aspect of personality would move forward into the body to keep me sane and alive. From the time I was five years old, I knew that I had chosen my parents. I had no conscious awareness of what I was going through, but there was the awareness that I had chosen my parents, that this journey that I was on was intentional. And so in my 30s, I began to deteriorate and sought psychiatric help. And my first therapist said, do you think you could have been sexually molested? And that person in the body at the time said, no, no, I don't think so. But as I drove home that day, the brilliance said, hey, if this is true, show me the truth. I'm willing to see it. And that began the dissociation breaking apart and me beginning to discover the truth about my life. Did I believe it? Heck no. No. But it took years and years and years of me to plow through memories, hundreds and hundreds of memories, to start to begin to connect the truth that what I had lived was real. Part of my journey was writing a book so that I could come out of the dissociation. And the book has no satanic cult memories in it. It has enough memory about my journey with the government to lend credibility as to why I am such a fragmented, wounded human being living in actual terror all the time. This journey that I took when I met Norma Delaney in 1996 was profound. So for the first 10 years, I worked my tail off trying to get better. I went into a hospital in 1993 to get fixed. It was a premier hospital dealing with multiple personalities like myself. And instead of getting better, I completely deteriorated, lost my three sons to foster care, lived in the hospital for eight straight months, tried to commit suicide. I was a mess. So for the next four and a half years, I was in this hospital program, working, 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 thinking, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get my boys back. And all that happened was memories kept coming, coming, coming. And that's when I opened to the possibility that there was something more. <laughs> and that's when I met Norma Delaney. And she taught me how to breathe this conscious breath of compassion that she had learned from Kuan Yin goddess of compassion, who had taught her in 1992 how to do this breath. It was the beginning of me having an authentic identity of coming home to self, of coming out of the loathing that I had and the terror that I lived in constantly. And so my book details my journey with her. 
It's a love story filled with compassion, truth, tools that I share with my clients when I work with them so that they can come out of trauma. It's a miracle story. Yeah, truly, truly miraculous. So I... Let's start uh, and obviously share whatever you're comfortable with and, you know, whatever you're not, obviously tell me. But so how did the government, the CIA, even find your father? You said that they was already in the military. Okay. And you don't realize how trapped we are as human beings, even back then. Sure. So they knew that satanic cults would be willing to give up their child because they killed babies all the time. So it was no big deal. Um, they also went to prisons and institutions and universities and recruited people for these experiments. They didn't tell them what they were about. It affected 2 million Americans and Canadians. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the specific program and why were they like why were they contracting to recruit you? Their intent is to find a way through a human being's mind so that they can control them completely to use them for their purposes, whether it's to be an assassin, whether it's for them to do um, secret work, whether it's to plant plant them in another country, so forth and so on. I mean, you watch the movies. Mm -hmm. Them are very real. Very. Um, I have heard that Sirhan Sirhan, who killed Robert Kennedy, I read this in documentation, that they do believe he was a part of the MKUltra program. Mm -hmm. Um, That he has no memory of killing Robert Kennedy. The movie, The Manchurian Candidate, details this kind of corruption this kind of intent now is this just in the united states no it's all over the world in varying degrees has the united states stopped it i doubt it i don't know for sure but you know governments look to control their populations they are not connected to soul brilliance and wisdom they are connected to this there is no compassion there is no interest in the life. You know, in my in my book, when I was being put in the anti-deprivation chamber when I was five, and I looked at Norma and I said, how could they do this? They don't even care. And she looked at me and she sat back and she said, did you hear what you said? They don't care. Serena, we've been working for years on these memories. They were so separate from their authentic identity from love and compassion, that they didn't see you as a human being. You were a lab rat. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to terms with that. I had to accept truth because I also had to look at my father and my mother who were vicious. Mm. (laughs) My father was unbelievably cruel, beyond what people can even comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. So how how do you reconcile that? How does one forgive their own parents for It's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is still mind idea. It is the energy of this. But when you drop deep into the core of you, into the lake of compassion, mm-hmm. it exists within each and every human being. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. It's below the belly button. And when you breathe in through your nose and you exhale through your nose and you practice this breath that I teach, it begins to connect you to your brilliance, mm -hmm. your essence. And as you sit in the presence of this mind, agony, this pain beyond what most people can comprehend. And I kept breathing and breathing and breathing the truth. Compassion began to fill me. Truth began to fill me. My soul would invite me, look through my glasses, Serena, see the truth. And when I felt like I couldn't because I was filled with so much rage, mm -hmm. I would breathe and say, oh, soul, fill me with your compassion. Help me to see this from your eyes. You see, I began to come to the realization that I had chosen this lifetime, that I was not a victim to it, mm -hmm. that I had a journey that was so unique because I had a passion this lifetime to wake up to the game of duality, to fear. I wanted to be all that I am in human form as a divine living human. That was a big choice for me this lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so it took me into the darkest bowels of hell, but it also brought me into the greatest light of compassion and love. So as I did this work, over 25 years, I came into compassion around my father and my mother. I didn't have to, to forgive them. They did exactly what I wanted them to do, which was to throw me into the darkness so I could finally make a choice. Does that make sense, Courtney? Yeah, no, that totally does make sense. I am curious if you can talk a little bit about um, some of the things that they do in uh, the MK Ultra program, or at least that you experience. Can you talk about any of that? You know, I would prefer not to. I don't want to focus on the darkness. You can read my book, read some of the experiences. Yeah. You can Google it. You can look online. I, 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 yeah, I have. I was I was hoping for the audience. It's really, but I'll recommend that everybody read the book for sure. Well, I just, it, yeah. It's because they see humankind as lab rats. Mm -hmm. They start out by doing things like electrocution, starvation, hanging, burning, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Beyond what a human can comprehend unless they use their wildest imagination. They kill randomly to force others that they have see as more valuable to them so that they can force that person to do what they want. So it's a level of gruesome terror that those people that have participated in it mm -hmm. live with. They use all kinds of drugs like LSD and high, uh, hallucinogenics. Mm -hmm. That gives you a snapshot of what they do, but I would prefer not to go into specific memory. No, no, that's that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so then how do you, you talked a little bit about your experience with uh, Norma Delaney and how that was the beginning of your healing journey. What was, can you go through some of what you think are like key tools that 
helped to uh, helped you to integrate? Oh, absolutely. The most important was the breath. This breath practice that she taught me, because when you switch, like I did, I was like a revolving door with parts of me coming in and out as quickly as you could blink. Mm -hmm. And so she would say, don't run. Don't run, Roberta. Charlotte, stay here. Robbie, slow down. And she would invite those children to begin to breathe, to stay with her, no matter how uncomfortable they had gotten. Mm -hmm. And so she taught the many of us how to do this breath. Mm -hmm. Now, did I get it in the beginning? No, no, because I had such a rejection of this thing called the body. Mm -hmm. It had so much pain in it. It was the last place I wanted to be. And she was saying, come on into your body, start to feel your body. And I was like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so, so that was the foundation, that breath technique I practiced for years before I began to really feel a connection to it. So when I work with some of my clients, they say, I, I, I can't do it. It's too hard. And I say, it's okay. Will you keep practicing? Mm -hmm. Are you worth doing it? Mm -hmm. She also began to introduce me to the ability to deconstruct a belief. So I lived backwards school. Everything that was normal, I did backwards because that's how I was trained. Be on guard constantly. Don't trust anybody. Don't eat. Don't trust food. Be in resistance beyond fight. Hate everyone. Well, that's backwards to living a joyful, abundant life. Yeah. And so she would say, let's look at this belief like, don't let love in. It hurts like hell. Now, you would understand that I would believe that love was painful because the two people in my life, my parents, wanted to kill me many times. So I didn't trust love, didn't trust Norma. So she would invite me to notice, what are the words of your mind? And I'd write them down. And then she'd ask me to connect into my soul energy. Mm -hmm. And she'd say, write it down. And I began to notice, wow, my soul, it feels so gentle, never judgmental, always loving, compassionate. Whereas my mind was saying, you should, you have to hurry up. You need to get better. And it was always this staccato energy that hit me, which I was very familiar with. You know, she would say to me, listen to what you say. You know, I would say hateful things about myself. They were normal for me. So she invited me to begin to be present in this moment, wherever that moment was. You know, I had such severe PTSD, Courtney, that I couldn't differentiate memory from present reality. So she would invite me to breathe and look around the room and say, okay, this is 2023, I am safe. No one is hurting me. And I would speak it out loud so the many child parts of me could hear the truth. So these and many other tools that she taught me are in my story in my book. She kept loving me. What was the big thing she'd go? 
it's okay. I love you. Yeah. You said that you're like you had started with therapy and that until you had met Norma, a lot of the therapy was not helpful for you um, or in some cases even hurtful. Uh, can you? No, it wasn't hurtful. It was never hurtful. Okay. But it kept me so connected to here. Okay. The belief was if I keep doing memories and spilling my guts and talking about it, it will get better. No one in all those years said, let's breathe. You don't want to be in your body. Okay. Right. Um, they gave me Prozac and Ambien, which in truth, at the time, it was helpful because I was so exaggerated, so hysterical, so terrorized all the time that it put me in a more control, controllable state so mm -hmm. I could cope. Right. Don't get me wrong. Every therapist, every doctor was helpful because they helped keep me alive. Right, right. But it only brought me to a certain place of healing. Mm -hmm. I had been in AA for 15 years before I started therapy. Mm -hmm. So I don't knock any of those modalities. But when you deal with someone as troubled as I was, who had cut her arms with razor blades in self-mutilation, right. who, I mean, I had done every coat. I had blown up to 250 pounds. Oh. I mean, I had done so many different addictive modalities to try to survive right. that when Norma began to say, I hear you, mm -hmm. we're not in a rush. We can work together longer than 50 minutes. You're not on a time schedule. That was a very difficult thing for me when I would work with therapists and they'd say, oh, we're done. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. she'd say we're not in a rush. Those things made a world of difference. But I cannot say that the other was hurtful. It just kept me boxed in. Mm -hmm. Right. But alive. Alive. Right. So, you know, I work with people that have multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder. Sure. I work with bipolar. I worked with a person that was had dementia. I worked with many different diagnoses. Right. I tell people that those diagnoses to let them go. Mm -hmm. I invite them to discover their brilliance. They stayed alive and sane. Right. And seeking help. Sure. You celebrate them because, you know, I invite my client to breathe with me, to invite their parts that are so wounded to come in. Mm -hmm. Can they sit without running and listen to the stories that these parts have? I mean, I would say probably almost every client I have was molested. <laughs> it's so prevalent. It's wow. so much more. And the psychiatric community acknowledges. Wow. That's that's really tragic. Yeah. Why do you think that so much of the mainstream uh, psychology, while, you know, I, I, they may have helped in, in the sense of keeping you alive, but why do you think that they their modalities were so different and it was not as effective as when uh, you started to work with Norma? Because it's, when someone goes to school to learn how to do it, mm -hmm. they're learning from this, from right. rules. Yeah. 
there are boundaries. You have to do it this way. Don't do it this way. Blah, 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 blah. Rules, mm-hmm. rules, rules. All mine. When Norma came to me, she came with a blank slate. Mm-hmm. She trusted this implicit wisdom that lives within her beingness, her divinity. She showed up and she said, I have never worked with a multiple personality. And I said, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to have worked with a multiple personality. Let's let this brilliant divinity that we are lead me so I can come out of this nightmare. Mm -hmm. You see, when I show up, when I work with my clients, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And I am astounded at how I help them. They are astounded at how I help them. It is a remarkable journey. It's like a dance, like a partnership of ice skaters that twirl and weave and dance across the ice. And breath by breath, moment by moment, through the wisdom that this does not have, we are able to safely and compassionately take the woundings one by one. Mm. You know, I used to feel like I was this huge rubber brand ball just wound tightly with all these thousands and thousands of rubber bands and if one of them broke I would explode and die I literally felt that way and I looked at my soul and she would take a piece of one of the rubber bands and she'd say let's look at this and I didn't explode and I didn't die yeah Mm -hmm. The layers of dissociation and trauma that I had endured was so mind-boggling that it was only wisdom that could lead me out of the nightmare. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the... Um, you don't have to share memories per se, but just in terms of so people can understand. I I don't know that people necessarily know, uh, you know, the extent of what dissociation really means. You know how? Okay. Yeah, sure. if you could talk a little bit about that, and from you know as much of your experience, but just so that people get a sense of, you know, really being uh, in feeling like you were you're completely different people in the same body. You know, sure. Everyone is dissociated. Everyone is multiple parts. When you watch someone on television, they go, well, a part of me really wanted to follow this path, but a part of me was very resistant to it. That is multiple. Is it multiple like me? No, not at all. That's normal. Okay. When you're driving down the freeway and you're thinking about what you're going to be cooking for dinner and God, you've got to go pick the kids up from school. And all of a sudden you go, oh my God. And you're at your exit and you pull off quickly. Mm -hmm. That is dissociation. So imagine if you will, Courtney, you're three years old and everyone in the audience, imagine yourself at three years old. You're racing through the house and you're filled with unbridled joy, squealing and yelling and just running and you pass your mother. And she grabs you and she goes, oh, my God, will you be quiet just for five minutes? And she shakes you. And in that moment, the child goes and reacts in fear and energetically steps out of the body. That is the beginning of dissociation. The soul brilliance knows that that little three-year-old has no cognitive ability to go, wow, mom's a bit tired. She's not angry with me. 
It has nothing to do with me. Instead, because every child believes everything is about them, the child believes she or he did something wrong. (laughs) And so the soul brilliance gathers that experience up, wraps it up, deposits in the physical body, and that's a piece of dissociative energy. It's a vibration of fear that is heavier and more dense. The vibration of light is a higher vibration. It's more open. So if this happens enough, the child begins to learn to step out of the body and watch. Make sure I'm not too much. I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. I better say, yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. I'll be good. I won't fight you. I need you to love me no matter what. I'm afraid. So based upon the upbringing that each individual has, they either have a small amount of dissociative energy or they have large amounts of dissociative energy. People, when they reach about 30 years old, start to have a disruption within their consciousness where they notice they start to react to things that, why did that bother me? Well, that's the dissociative energy from the past that is coming up asking for acknowledgement so that the adult can begin to heal from the trauma of their past. Every human being on the planet has trauma, unfortunately. Divorce of a parent, death of a loved one, car accidents, rejection at school, bullying. I mean, the list goes on just unbelievably. We have heartache. We don't know how to deal with that. Our society doesn't say, hey, little one, breathe with me. I know it's hard. Instead, we're told, come on, stop crying. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And so we all learn to become pretenders. Can you hear the compassion that I feel for all of us? Being human is a really hard thing. You know, Cryon, whom Lee Carroll channels, where I met Norma Delaney, he says, I'm never going to be a human being. It's too hard. And he admires all of us because it takes such a degree of courage to show up in a human body, forgetting the divinity that we are, experiencing the day-to-day life trials of heartache and disappointment. This dissociation is our numbness. It is the ability to numb out. Some people seek alcohol or drugs. Others use sex. Other people do a a myriad of behaviors to keep this energy of dissociation present so they don't have to deal with this pain that's crying on the inside. Does that help you understand what dissociation is? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like just in terms of you don't have to use, you know, personal specifics, but just I, I think it's very hard for some people to wrap their head around this, uh, you know, this idea that you could be that someone could really sure. believe there's someone separate from, you know, sure. they are. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, and, so and they, you know it's fascinating too because it shows like the the power of the human brain. You know they did these studies. I'm sure you're probably familiar with them, but for the audience, uh, they did these studies with uh, someone who is anaphylactic. You know, like like anaphylactic to peanut or something in uh, one personality state, and then mm-hmm. in another they were not, and they're still that same person. You know, like if it were me, oh, so coordinate, but you know when I'm in the personality of. Uh, Whatever, whoever the other personality may be, I don't have the same uh, ailments or traits. And I, I think that's, you know, kind of unfathomable to some people. So I'd love if you could expound on that a little bit. Sure. So when I was born, like I said, I wasn't touched. Mm-hmm. I wasn't fed. So the soul energy comes into the body through this, this sense Which, of I'm just so sorry to interrupt, but I do want to just let people know, you know, that that's astounding that you survived that because, you know, they did those studies. I, I believe it was in Russia where uh, they did not touch uh, the babies. They actually did feed them. They fed them, gave them water, air, all the basic needs, but they didn't touch them. And all of the baby, all the infants died. So mm-hmm. that just shows you, you know, how uh, essential that is for humanity. We, we do need that, and especially as infants. So uh, that you, you talked about how you chose your parents and you feel you chose this path. And clearly, you know, even as an infant, you you were very determined and knew you had a purpose. Oh, I died the first time when I was two months old. I died 15 times this lifetime. One, five. Yeah, lots of times. So very determined. But the things that most people take for granted, being cooed at, being acknowledged, touched, fed. They would give me two or three gulps of the bottle, then pull it away and let me scream and scream. They would leave me in the crib for eight to 10 hours a day, all through the night. They wouldn't change my diaper. It was a living nightmare. So I began to dissociate. At two months old, I have a vivid memory of laying in my crib through the slats and I'm watching the shadows of the leaves from the window and the moonlight coming in that are dancing on the wall. And I energetically move out into the wall, okay? Because it's so much more comfortable in the wall than it is in the physical body. I began to observe the body from floating, from being away from the body, the body, not my body, the body. So when my father would come in and smother me with a pillow at three months of age, I would watch. It wasn't me. Now, there was no cognition yet, but I could watch it. I could see it as this became highly developed within me, which is what they wanted and intended. I began to have such separate traumatic events. So early on in life, like I said, at two months old, being electrocuted, they would put um, things all over my body and then feed electricity into me to see how much I could handle. And leaving the body. Now there was always enough energy in my body to keep me alive. And it took years for Norma to get it through my mind that I did feel the pain because I was so separate. I could cut my arms with a razor blade and not feel a thing. So as I became older, and there is a memory in my book of me sitting in the high chair at two and a half, close to three years old, And I haven't been fed for hours and hours and hours. And my mother's back is to me and she's cooking at the stove. And I am screaming and crying. And she turns around. She looks all over the room. And she says, I just don't like bad girls like Jennifer. Now, that was my birth name that I was part of. But I love 
Lucy Bell. And as she said the words Lucy Bell, her eyes landed on me and she smiled. Now, by the time I was two and a half, three years old, I was so dissociated. And I smiled at her and I went, Mama. And Lucy Bell was born. These parts of me had to be so distinctively different for me to survive. The trauma I went through when I was three years old, my father tied me to a tree and spread honey all over my body and let the ants crawl all over me. And I screamed and screamed and screamed until I could hypnotize myself enough and look at the ant that was crawling up my body. And the child said, I bead one of the ants. I don't care no more. And so the child became the ant. And so over and over and over again, I became distinct living people that had jobs to do. So Robbie, who was four years old, his job was to hold the energy of joy in the body. He had no awareness of the trauma that had happened, but he was distinctly four and he was a boy. And so as I began to destabilize and he was in the in target and he switched out into the front of the body and was running up and down the toy aisle, yelling to my sons, I'm seeing the toys, you guys, come on. And my sons were mortified. I was 40 years old. I had no awareness that my body was 40 years old or I was a woman. I was a four-year-old boy running up and down the aisles of Target. So absolutely distinctly different. Not connected to this thing at all. So that is how I became these parts. So when the government men would put their hand up like this, I would switch and that personality would come forward. They would call on the phone and say a key sentence and that personality would switch and show up at the cult meeting. So each part of me had its job and its experience contained within that package. So it did not bleed through to any other part. Did that describe it adequately? Yeah, yeah, no, very, very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Uh, That's why it took so long for me to heal. Of course, yeah. <laughs> How do you integrate all of that and uh, you know find your core and your truth and your center? Yeah. And who I am. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, Rob, Norma would say after after many years, could you sit and listen to this part of you, this mm -hmm. child, this person? And I and and I come back and go, I'm sorry, Norma, I didn't hear a thing. And she'd go, It's okay. Mm -hmm. Always com compassionate and patient with me with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. When you you were saying how like you're always astounded when you work with. Uh, your clients at the, the the healing that that occurs and uh, you know how they uh, progress. I I'm curious. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but first I'm I'm curious if uh, that do you think that the 
So the question is kind of multi-layered because I think, you know, I was asking you about the, you know, previous therapist, just because I think that this is a a newer field. There are more people who are exploring how to work with, uh, I think it is very specific and I do think it's separate uh, from, or it could become a branch of psychology perhaps, but I do think for, for lots of reasons, you know, I think they are different. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do actually with the origins of the fields of social science and psychology. But so I think that because more people are looking at this and realizing that they have to, uh, or perhaps they might want to work with, uh, these types of, uh, clients differently, people who've had these experiences in a different way, um, I, I think those different types of modalities and systems are being explored. So I'm curious that if when you're seeing the uh, the progress and the recovery of these people, if you think that there's a hope in their recovery that this uh, could potentially be, um, I, I don't know what the right word is. I, I, I don't want to say like stopped per se, but it could be healed by having it be uh, exposed and have, you know, because there's a, a an antidote for it, that maybe some of these uh, programs will, I, I know we can speculate on whether or not they still exist or not. I, I'm personally of the mindset that they may have rebranded and a lot of this types of, uh, you know, things sort of unfortunately has not uh, been done away with completely. So I think there are um, COVID who... is an example of mind control. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're on the same page. I just don't, didn't know how to word it. Cause I don't want to be, I don't want to put like ideas or yeah. No, it's I'm very upfront with people. Okay. When COVID came out, I got very clearly man-made. Mm. Yeah. Then when the vaccine came out, I got very clearly no yeah, absolutely. A million percent. No. And when yeah. my job, my corporate job kept saying, you've got to get the vaccine, you've got to get the vaccine. I kept getting. <laughs> and I sat in my stillness and did not argue. And I still don't have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, this work that I do, you know, I met yesterday with a psychologist because she attended my workshop. Mm-hmm. And she was just so delighted mm-hmm. with the work that I had offered in my workshop. Sure. And she said to me, she said, Serena, you do everything that I do. Now, this woman is pretty courageous. She steps mm-hmm. out of the box. She does things her way right. in the sense that she brings in the spiritual aspect. She invites right. her clients to breathe. And we had a wonderful two-hour conversation over coffee, you know? Yeah. Um, so there are many therapists out there, but they had they have to have done the work themselves. Mm-hmm. They cannot speak it as empty words. They have to be it. Right. You see, when you are working with someone whose heart is so wounded and they are in their 70s, you cannot entice them through this energy. You can only invite them through compassion. They make the choice. There are many people that begin working with me and they say to me, I'm so sorry, Serena, this is too hard. I can't do it. And I look at them and I say, I understand. Mm -hmm. I do. I love you dearly. If you ever want to work with me again, I'm here. And I let them go. Right. Because Courtney, this work takes courage, determination, compassion, the willingness to sit in the presence of my pain 
Right. Do not judge anything that I lived, participated in, or witnessed. Wow, what a biggie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a biggie for anyone, but the more trauma they've incurred, it certainly is magnified for sure. Yeah. So when you talk about, I, I, that was where I wanted to go with this, uh, you know, when I was asking that question, so you talk about things like like COVID, I I do, from just you know, hearing stories like yours and the research I've done, it, it appears to me like they do, certainly, as you had mentioned, they, they're looking for uh, targeted individuals for their own uh, purposes and to, to use them as assets. But I can't help but wonder if they also do a bit of like beta testing on individuals to then uh, take some of those tactics and roll them out on mass scale for, as you said, like a mass scale trauma-based mind control. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I intentionally do not watch any news. (laughs) Yeah, sure. the level of intent that not just our government, but globally, the mm-hmm. intent to spread a message of fear, of instability, insecurity, be on guard, don't trust. It's right. huge. Yeah. Huge. It's gotten worse the more people have become enlightened. Mm-hmm. You see, the fear is fighting for its life because there are so many humans on this planet saying, I am worth it. Mm -hmm. I am a divine being. I love me. I see it all over the world. My book is in multiple languages because I've been approached by people that said, I've got to get your book in my language. It's miracle. Yeah. I know it. But I tell my clients, if you really want this journey, you have to let go of watching the television. I watch movies, but I'm selective. Mm -hmm. I don't watch fear. The media intentionally leads people astray. It's lies. It's not the truth. Our government is not interested in the service of mankind. They want control. When you can be at peace with that, Mm -hmm. not from a place of fight, you know, people that seek office usually, I mean, they may start off with a good intention, but as they have to sell their soul to get in office, they lose themselves. I understand that. I don't have judgment about it because you see this planet is called the great experiment. It is the planet of duality of light and dark, good and bad, right and wrong, love and fear. So we come down into this planet multiple times as humans and we get to play on the on the jungle gyms and the slides and the Mm -hmm. sandbox. And we get to experiment with the teeter-totters and all of the different adventures of life. So one lifetime, we may be a prophet. Another lifetime, you may be a teacher or a nun or a priest, or we may be a serial killer or a, a pedophile or whatever. We all experience the gamut. Now, a lot of your people will go, that can't be true. But I know for my truth, what I've journeyed through, I've had to integrate hundreds of past lives this lifetime. I've had to come into peace, not just about this lifetime, but the many that I've experienced. I've experienced absolute compassion and love from the other side. So Kuan Yin and Yeshua and the Brotherhood of Light 
and Saint Germain and Kuthumi and the Archangel Michael and Raphael and Gabriel, all of them have walked with me. They have shared with me. They have loved and supported me. There has never been a moment of judgment. So when the human can come to terms and acceptance and peace with, okay, that's out there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play with it. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in it. Mm -hmm. Then you can find authentic peace. Mm -hmm. When I was listening to the news, I became afraid. Mm. That's what they wanted. I had to make the choice to turn the TV off. Mm -hmm. I had to make the choice to go, I love me. What can I do that's for my highest good? I chose to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. That that's beautiful. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh like the what they're doing with uh, the kids right now and uh, some of the, I, when you're talking about the dissociation, I can't help but think about how hard they're pushing some of this trans agenda. And it seems kind of like, in a way, a bit of an extension of that, right? Where they're literally destabilized, they're completely disconnected. Do you have any thoughts on that? No. Okay. I just observe. Yeah. I don't judge. Yeah. That. Judgment. I didn't mean it from a place of judgment. No, no, oh no, yeah. no. I know yeah. you, but I don't have specific thoughts. Yeah. I know each individual is on their perfect journey. Yeah. Every from the president of the United States <laughs> to every single human being in yeah. America, every single person is on the perfection of their journey. So when I'm working with a client in Finland that says, I can't do this anymore. Right. So that's the perfection of their journey. Yeah. Because I look at my journey. How can I judge anyone else? My journey was outrageous. Mm -hmm. It was outlandish. It was unbelievable. It took me, I don't know, 15 years to finally begin to believe that it wasn't a lie. Right. Do so you, how, can, how can I have, you know, say, oh, well, that person shouldn't be doing it or they shouldn't be doing that. No, oh, I, yeah, well, I, I didn't mean I don't mean like what they're doing. I, I mean, just more the, the the notion of it. I feel like it, in some ways it seems like kind of an extension of that, like they're trying to destabilize people uh, and to disconnect them. And they may, they may. But, you know, their fingers are in so many pots that I, yeah. I'm not interested in it. It's not yeah. what I'm about. I don't pay one drop of my attention to it. Right. I really don't. It's not where my life is so full between being a full-time loan officer, mm -hmm. working with clients, doing mm -hmm. motivational speaking. I mean, I do writing and blogs on my website. I am Serena.net. Yeah. Uh, people go there and purchase sessions with me. Um, I'm so busy. I don't have time to listen to the garbage. Right, right, right. Sure, sure. I just, I just can't help but see. Yeah, I, I get it. I just can't help but see uh, so much, uh, so, so many connections between, you know, a lot of what I, I keep hearing from these stories of the MK Ultra 
uh, survivors and, you know, what is happening kind of on a mass scale now. So to me, I think that that, and that's just, you know, what I, I'm seeing. So it seems like there's just, there's a lot of uh, connections there. And so, yeah. And your perspective is different. You don't, you live your life a certain way based upon your upbringing, your education, your interests. And so, yeah, you see things that I don't see when people go, Oh, do you know, so-and-so thinking that I'm going to know this channel or this spiritual person? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I just stay here in Mm -hmm. this moment. You know, life has become so precious to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you've died 15 times, when you've yeah. suffered the amount that I have suffered, sure. each day is a gift. Yeah. It's so profound. You know, even the, the gift of going to the branch and doing loans, it's like, wow, what a gift. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I'm cognitive. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, life is definitely a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. (laughs) My three sons, I won them back from the courts after four and a half years. I was, that was the next I was going to ask you about. Yeah. So you won them back. Yes. And I'm close to two of them and we have a fabulous relationship and we all got together over the weekend of the 17th to see one of my sons graduate from chiropractic college as a doctor and then we drove to my other son's farm and he took new headshots of me which I just posted on my website Mm -hmm. which I am so thrilled with I mean those are the special events in my life you know oh for sure yeah I just like wow (laughs) you know I didn't know that life could be so good I didn't know that living in a physical body could be Mm -hmm. so sweet sure continue to discover how sweet it can be i'm a living example to the people i work with it will get better i promise keep breathing keep breathing i love you you know i keep going yeah (laughs) you know because those that choose to keep showing up no matter how difficult it is Mm -hmm. i celebrate them yeah, absolutely. How do your uh, sons feel about uh, the work that you do? Uh, have you, Are they very familiar with the stories? They, yeah, no, they, okay. they love the work I do. Yeah. They're so proud of me because they lived it. My one son, when he was working on my headshot, making my teeth whiter, <laughs> I said, I wish that was a possibility in real life um, <laughs> without having to actually do it. But um, he sent me a text and he goes, Mom, your face, you have so much joy in your eyes. Mm. Now that spoke volumes to me. Sure. That tells that son of mine, I'm living proof what I did works. Mm-hmm. You know, he sat across from me with tears rolling down his face in 2019. And he said, I didn't feel you loved me. And I said, well, that's real, sweetie. How could you? I was so wounded. I was an empty vessel. Oh, I did love you, but it was a love from fear and mind, and I had to protect you and keep you alive. Did you feel it? No. So those two sons know what I have done. My other son, the one that graduated from chiropractic school, he practices this breath. Mm -hmm. 
it's setting him free. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and I trust that my other son who is on his journey is in the perfection of his journey, even though I'm not close to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so profound what you said, uh, uh, what you said to, to him about how you were, you did love him, but it was from a place of fear and uh, protection. Um, and that, yeah, that that's really profound. And I, how did he respond to that? He heard me. He smiled. Mm-hmm. He said, "It doesn't fix it, Mom." And I said, "Oh no!" Right? He said, oh, how could it? You know, when he was three years old, I was he. It was 1986, and I was just having my memories of my father raping me. Right. And I had flashes. I never had one full memory. And here's this little, little boy with blonde hair and blue eyes and a little pot belly. And he came up and he wrapped his arms around my thigh to tell me he loved me. And I was triggered. And I was five years old and my father was on top of me, raping me. And I couldn't breathe. And I thought he had forgotten me. And I screeched and screamed and pushed my son away and said, don't touch me, don't touch me. Because I was in PTSD and terror. Right. And I was able that day to go, sweetie, when you wrapped your arms around me and I pushed you away because I was so afraid, all you felt was I didn't love you. Mm -hmm. I loved you so much, but I want you to hear me. I was so wounded. And I told him as I cried how sorry I was. Right. And if I could, I would have pulled that little boy that still was three inside of him into my lap and rocked him. But you see, he has to do that work. At some point in his life, he will find that three-year-old boy. So I did my three-year-old child. That's the miracle of this work. Yeah. You see, I cannot fix it for anyone, not even my children. I can tell them, yes, their feelings are validated. They are, their experiences are real, but they have to sit with their child parts. They have to love those children. Yeah. And you've seen it's possible. Yes. You've experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. That That's incredibly hopeful. I, I think so many people... Um, thank you for sharing that. Really, thank you. I I think so many people experience, uh, you know, as you said, everybody experiences trauma, and uh, so few people are uh, willing to uh, acknowledge it in a way that is, uh, you know, I, I think people either don't want to acknowledge it at all. It's like they, they don't, don't want to deal. feel it. They it's don't want to feel it. I tell people, people go, "Oh, Serena." Your pain was so bad. And I go, no, uh, 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 don't go there. Your pain is the worst you've ever had. Right. And I really say to people, hear me. Your pain is the worst you have ever had. Right. Breathe with that truth. Because that heartache that you experienced is so real. Right. And it, to the thought of, 
I have to go back and feel that again. (laughs) But if you want to come out of the suffering, out of the stuck place you're in, Mm -hmm. you'll do it. Yeah. And I have many clients who are doing it. Yeah. Men and women alike. Yeah. It's that's incredible. What what you 31 to 78. Wow. Amazing. That, that's really incredible. What what do you see for the future of uh um you know trauma work and uh, for people healing and for this type of work to continue to spread? What do you see for the future of that? I hear this sweet gentle laughter within me. And Yeshua says it is continuing for the more that want to awaken because it's now a real possibility where it wasn't 2,000 years ago. They can do it because the wealth of compassion that exists within every human being is vast. It's like a huge lake that is bottomless. And it will fill each and every individual and coat them in such a bliss of compassion that it will support them and give them courage. It isn't facing the pain from a place of aloneness and gritting your teeth. For you see, each and every one of us are so loved, so loved beyond what anyone can imagine. You see, when I work with my clients, I invite them to connect to their brilliant soul through seeing them as an angel source, a source of light within them. I empower my clients. You see, Yeshua just shared that because he is here with us, as is Kuan Yin, as with all the light beings. They are joyous in the courage that we are doing. This is intentional that is going on in the planet now. Heaven's cross occurred in March of this year. The veil has loosened so dramatically. You know, in 2015, Yeshua came to Norm and I and he said, you have cracked the veil on man's unconsciousness. They will never go back to where they were. I was like, wow, you mean just Norman and me doing this work? And he said, yeah. He said, you see, Serena, no one has ever been born into the blackest black on this planet as you were and survived and come out of it into the light. Not in one lifetime. You are the first ever. And I went, wow. Now, you see, I don't hear that from ego anymore. In the beginning, I would have. But now I know that it was a village that supported me in doing this work. Don't get me wrong. It was my courage, my commitment, my determination, day in and day out that did the breath work, facing the truth. We did it alone. Isn't that just spectacular, Courtney? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody does it alone. Yeah. Is that something that uh, 
your when you work with your uh, clients that that do they all feel that as well that it's a it's a you use you use the word village but yeah oh yes I intentionally start to teach them how to connect to their intuition which is outside of the mind's knowing mm -hmm. I invite them to begin to open to their brilliance mm -hmm. at the time yeah. And the, when you say that it's not not alone, so it's a uh, what 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 do you mean by that? When the human says soul, <laughs> I know you're here somewhere. I'd be dead. I'd <laughs> like you to start to be a part of my life. I'd like to start to hear you. I'd like you to show me the next step in my life. It opens the door to a brand new reality, a reality that gives permission not only to the soul of us, mm -hmm. but to the beings that are connected to that human's experience. Mm -hmm. There are many. And so it begins a precious journey for each individual. Yeah. Do you feel like you've... Uh... So when you say that you talk about like the, the different beings that you're connected to as part of this process, um, wh what are, are those like, are they, I, I, I'm just curious what they, that means for you. Like, are they physical beings? Are they other souls? Are they parts of your past? They're entities. Or they're entities. Well, they're, so they're Yeshua, mm -hmm. Kuan Yin. You know who Kuan Yin is, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's Kathumi. It's the Archangel Michael. It's all of them that are not in physical form that mm -hmm. are on the other side of the veil. Now, humans believe they can't talk to them. Humans believe we are less than, they are better than. That is not the truth. We are an equal standing to them. Isn't that phenomenal? When you can know that at a gut level, you don't make it so unusual. It's just part of the package. When you begin to seek the intuitive answers to sense instead of go here for a quick fix, a quick answer, mm -hmm. it opens the doors to the more of who you are. And when you have that experience, it just naturally unfolds in your perfection. You learn that you are not a third dimensional human being, black and white. You learn that there are many dimensions that a human being can exist in simultaneously. When I tell people that the child that they see in their inner world in that moment who is crying and asking for their attention is as regal as this desk that I'm making this pounding sound with, most people can't get that. But over time, if they continue to practice this breath, they continue to make this connection to their soul energy, they realize it's true. You know, I have a show called Discovering the Magic, and it's on YouTube, and it's every month on the month and the date of the month. So this July 7th, now we're not going to do one in August, we're taking a break, but then it'll be September 9th, then October 10th, November 11th, December 12th. And it's called Discovering the Magic. And I, you know, Tanya and I discuss it quite openly. What does it mean to be a magical being? To create from a place of allowing, 
Because every word, thought, and deed that we all have creates, whether we do it unconsciously or consciously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do we uh, come from a place of creating for um, for positive? I think, uh, right, like that's, a, I don't... I, I don't think that that's like necessarily a given. You would think intellectually, like obviously you want to, that's not always the easiest thing to do, right? It's not because when you have an aspect that says, no, I don't want that. And you've got another part that says, yes, I do. You're in conflict with yourself. Mm -hmm. You hear of self-sabotage and things of that. That's where you have to start to become conscious of who you are, your thoughts, Mm -hmm. how you feel about yourself, what happened in your past. So that you can start to clear out the old to begin to be present in the now. Mm -hmm. When you are still reacting from this because of something that happened in your childhood, instead of staying present in this moment, there's no way you can create from conscious choice and helping Mm -hmm. yourself. But on my website are 21 breast sessions. I always add to them periodically. They're free. Mm-hmm. You can practice that. You can read my book. I am Serena. It's on Amazon. Um, I got it in Spanish, Romanian, Polish, Italian. It's been translated into Dutch and French. Awesome. Um, it will give you ideas. You can always mm-hmm. contact me for a session. I can teach you this breath and work with you. But it becomes a part of being a conscious human being. I'm in the process of that learning. Mm-hmm. Who do I create from conscious choice? Not aspect fear. Right. Right. That's so powerful, especially right now. I, I think, uh, you know, as you were saying, the fear is definitely really pervasive. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all over. And a lot of people have suc- succumbed to it, understandably so. So if we can figure out how to combat that, I I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. But you said figure how to combat that Mm -hmm. is mind words. Right. You don't fight it. You come home to you through the Mm -hmm. breath and discover your true identity. Mm -hmm. You see, most people have had a moment where they went. And they had this expansive experience of I'm more than just this. Mm -hmm. They're aware of this bigger me they may be at the ocean watching the sunset feeling the ocean's tide as it comes in and caresses their toes and then moves back out and in that moment they look around themselves and they feel connected to everything in that moment they're having an experience of authentic truth of who they are but the trouble is life is so busy and so full Snap, it's gone. But through practicing the breath, you intentionally open the door to experience that more that you are. And the more you practice it, the bigger it gets. Mm -hmm. And then you get to create from a place of choice and loving yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the, the, your whole story is just incredible. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing all of this with me and with my audience today. And I, I think it's, 
I think it's miraculous, truly. So if you have anything else you want to add, please do. And of course, tell everybody where they can find your books, your show, your, yeah, everything. Yeah, just type in my name, Serena Dash Faith Masterson. Yep. Or I am Serena. I'll Dottin. have the links. It's really just for the people who are listening on audio. If you want to give them the place to go find you. And you website. can find my book on Amazon. Unfortunately, it's not on audio. That will cost $4,000. So that is something in the future. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it's it's um in um online where you can read it. I can't think of the word. Kindle. It's Kindle, Kindle as well as paperback and hardback. So um yeah, it's you can find me anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have the links. I, I was just thinking if you wanted to get uh, spell out your website for the the audio listeners. But... I am Serena.net. Yes, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always spell out my, my name because, uh, you know, I spell it differently. So I'm always like, yeah, this is the people. S-A-R-I-N-A. No, no, no. Serene with an A at the end instead of an E. And they go, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I will definitely post all of those links. Yeah. And if you have anything else you want to impart with us today, then please do. Yeah. I invite you to practice this breath if you want to discover the more of who you are. Yeah. Truly. And thank you, Courtney, for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.